We are going to read a few of the verses that we read last last time in Romans chapter 4. Thank you, Brother Victor. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. A few weeks ago, as we were contemplating on this series, I was seeking after God on two narratives in the Bible that would demonstrate the principles of faith past, faith present, and faith future. We talked about the one last week, and we have another one here from the New Testament this week. I wanted one from the Old and one from the New Testament. It's always good to get something from the Old and something from the New. We spend too much time in the New Testament, we think it didn't happen in the Old Testament, and God changed. But we'll find out that faith worked the same way in the Old Testament that it does in the New Testament. Now here in this story, we have a wonderful de- depiction what would happen to things that are not yet seen, to what happens about what's going on now and what was going on before. Now in this particular healing account, it will greatly help you in believing God to receive something when you have no outward evidence. How many times have you been believing God for something there's absolutely no outward evidence for the thing at all? So we're going to take a look at that. But just to review, in Romans chapter 4, and verse 16, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. This is the pattern that our God does. We talked about some of the uh, some of the things that God has done in the Old Testament, some of the things that God has done in, throughout the course of the Bible to call those things that did not exist as though they did. We see in the Bible often that the degree to which people obey is the degree to which God can answer. And last week we saw the, the ditches being dug. And if they didn't dig ditches, like God said, fill this valley with, with ditches, if they didn't fill it, God could not have answered the way that He did. And when God speaks to your spirit, giving you something to do, do you see the excuses of why you cannot? Or do you see the water filling your empty ditches? These are things that we have to keep in mind. That was a phenomenal story the Word gave us last week. Let's turn over here, though, to John chapter 4 and verse 46. John chapter 4, verse 46, as you can tell from the chapter here in John chapter 4, this is towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just getting going on some of the miracles that have had occurred. Last time he was here in Cana of Galilee, remember there was a wedding and some water turned into, into wine. But here in verse 46, so Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea and Galilee, he went to him and implored him that he would come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Now the word here for nobleman, I put it, I wrote it out for you just so that you could see it in your, in your outline there. It's, this is the word that means prince. It means nobleman. It means royalty. This man is probably of royal descent. That could mean that he could be Jewish or Gentile. It wasn't just the Gentiles that had kings. There was actually royalty in the, in the land of the Jews from what I'm, I'm told as well. So he is, 
he is a in the family of royalty. And the thing is, his son is the one that is uh, on the brink of death. Now, this son is in line to take whatever position he's got. That's how royalty works. So this son is supposed to take his position. So there would be a disruption in whatever was going on with this particular royalty was, was happening. Now, there was a particular king in this region that we hear about. How many remember King Herod? I don't know that this nobleman is related to his family, but he could have been. That would have put, put him in as a, as a prince. King Herod was the king. Anything under him would be a prince or a, or a princess if, if they are descendants of him. But when you say nobleman, sometimes we just kind of read that over and we don't understand what this is. But this is someone of royal descent. And how many of y'all know royalty lives a little differently than the rest of the people do? They don't quite live up to the, to the, to the same way. You know, my, my wife and I are enjoying the Hallmark Christmas season. <laughs> we, we enjoy those movies. And they always uh, throw in a couple of them here about royalty. Now, I have no connection with royalty and the, and the people that are, that are there. She liked that one show that they used to have on PBS that dealt with um, some of the, uh, I guess you would call them royalty. They, they had, uh, I can't even think of the name of the show. She liked it. I would leave the room whenever she would watch it. It just wasn't, um, you know, I have shows that are not her cup of tea, and that was just one of mine that wasn't my cup of, cup of tea. So whatever it was, she enjoyed watching it. She liked that whole uh, affair. But, but they lived differently than the rest of us. You know, I cannot imagine having servants. I just can't imagine it. I just, if I had a servant, they would have no job. You know, I'd be saying, oh, don't worry about it, I'll take care of that. <laughs> they had people that would dress them. I would dismiss them. I can dress myself, thank you. <laughs> I don't need help for this sort of stuff. Uh, I don't even understand that. I've never had a, a position where I had a, had a secretary, but I was in a church and there was a church secretary. And one of the times when she came on staff, she offered to bring me hot beverages or, you know, I didn't drink coffee, but, and I thought, why would you do that? I, I really had no idea why anybody would, would, would do that. I just, um, I said, no, if I need anything, I'll go get it. <laughs> I, I'm just not used to that, men, that mentality, that way of, of doing things. But when you are, and you're used to being in a, in a royal setting, you're used to people doing things for you. And you're used to people, uh, when you ask for something to be done, you know, it gets done. And that's, uh, that, that just goes on. I don't know about you, but in some places I've been out with churches, some of the pastors were treated like royalty. Yeah. I, have, uh, I have seen some of that. And um, oh, I tell you, my wife and I were in one situation and the, the pastor, uh, we only were there because some of the people we knew ministering, we knew, we knew them, didn't really know the church or all that. But the church, the pastor of the church was there and just acted like royalty. And uh, this, this poor person, that, that they were a well-known uh, person going across the country. I mean, you go across the country and this, these people would be known and they were there packing up their stuff. Well, we can't watch people do that. So we got up and we started helping them unpack stuff. While this pastor just sat there, relaxed. He had people who carried his Bible for him. Don't ever try and carry my Bible. That's, I just look at you funny and uh, might even smack you or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't need anybody carrying my Bible. Actually, I just have the iPad now. And, but before, I used to carry the Bible and all sorts of stuff. And I just, you know, I can carry it myself. But can you understand there's a difference in mentality? When you read this story, and he calls this man a nobleman, 
and it uses this particular word. And this word is very close. I think I put it in your outline for you. I showed you how close they are to the word king. It's very, very close to the word king. Because this is just one who's basically in line to be a king or in line to be royalty. Um, and it's just a, a, an offshoot. They just call it nobleman. But when you have that kind of mentality, doesn't it, doesn't it change the way that you talk to people? Doesn't it change your expectation of what people will do? So this is the mentality of this man who is coming. This is, this is where he comes from. So when you see nobleman, don't just read over that. A certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now Capernaum is the premier city in Galilee. This is the richest of the cities. This is the most prominent of the cities. Uh, it's, if, in Galilee, it would be like our New York in the, in this area. It's, it's just, it's that prominent of an area. Uh, very affluent. And, uh, this is also the place Jesus decided to call home. Some people still under the impression that Jesus didn't have a home. Jesus had a home. He bought a house. He lived near Peter. And you can show that from the Word of God. It's, it's not hard to, uh, to see that. But Jesus was not without a house. When he said, well, he, he said, uh, the Son of Man doesn't know where he's going to lay his head. That's because he's on the road all the time. That's not because he didn't have a house. It's because he traveled in ministry. And uh, when you're traveling in ministry, you don't always, you know, you're not always next to the house. But he had a house. And uh, anyway, we're not going to get into all, all that. But I just want you to, to see that he came from Capernaum over to Cana. Now, I did some looking up to figure out how far Cana is from, from Capernaum. Anybody know? I, I sort of figured that. And I, I, I know off the top of my head from doing it before, but I just wanted to look over it again. And I saw everything from 15 miles to 20-some. I've usually called it 20. This is about 20 miles is what I've usually have, uh, considered to be. Now, they don't, of course, have a car. If you had a car, getting 20 miles is no big deal. If you're just walking, that can take a little bit of, little bit of time. How long would it take you to walk 20 miles? How many of you would not even consider it? <laughs> if, if it's 20... If it's 20 miles away, I'm not even going. <laughs> now, if you if you go the average speed of about three, three miles, that's about it. It's going to be about seven miles if you don't take any breaks. Or seven hours, I'm sorry, if you don't take any breaks. If you take any breaks along the way, it's going to be a little bit longer. You know, if you stop the McDonald's to pick up a Big Mac or something like that, you know, it might take you a little bit longer to, to get there. But just understand... It's, it takes a little while to, to go. Now, I'm, I'm going to just jump ahead here in the story, but we find out that uh, through the course of the story that the, the time that he is talking to Jesus is right around one, 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock in the afternoon. So he leaves probably in the morning. Now, if your son is on the verge of death and you want to get to Jesus, you're leaving as early as you can. So I'm going to say he's leaving somewhere in the neck of the woods of 5 a.m., 6 a.m. So if you traveled seven hours... And if you left at 6, you'd get there right at 1. If you left at 5, you'd get there around noon. If you took some breaks along the way, you'd get there still around 1 o'clock. Can you see that? If you were, you're going. But we don't really necessarily need to know how far the city was. We know that he more than likely left in the morning. He gets there around 1 o'clock. And he doesn't return home until the next day. So that tells you pretty much you know, what, what he's doing with his, as far as time. If you have a son who's dying and the only way that you can see help for them is 20 miles away, I'm sure that you're walking fast. You're taking as few breaks as you can. 
Then once you get there, you got to make the trip back. So when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him. Now, before we'd always heard that when they heard about Jesus and we hear the, how the hearing about Jesus built their faith up. We don't hear that about this guy. We just heard that he heard about Jesus and so he went out to get him. Well, the only reason you're going to go out and get Jesus is if something happened to build up your faith that this guy's got something. And again, we're early on in Jesus' ministry. As far as I know, there have not been a whole lot of uh, healing accounts that were given. There may have been some people healed in the ministry. probably had to be for, for this. But I don't know that you're going to a guy for healing who only turned water into wine. But somehow, his faith was built up to the point to expect something in the area of healing, which is why that he, he went there. This is your last ditch attempt. The wording in the Greek is he is on the verge of death. So this is, this has got to be something, not just a long shot. This is, this has got to be your best shot to get some help. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He may not have felt that he could leave when Jesus was in Judea. It would take too long to get there. Whatever it was, he did, he waited until he heard that he was in Galilee and he's over in Cana, some, about 20 miles away. So I guess before he was just either further out or whatever the reason he didn't go then, but he went, went at this point. Now again, he could have been a Jew. He could have been a Gentile. Jesus is not opposed to ministering to Gentiles when they had faith. But that's something that they needed to have. Now, what you believe, I left you a blank space there. You can either just write these in. This is just repeat. We've gone over these things before. But what you believe is made up of four things. Four things. What you hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What you read. When you read something, are you not hearing it? You're, don't, I don't know about you, but when I read something, the words get pronounced in my head. I don't always read out loud. But if uh, I, at least in my head, I'm, I'm saying the words. So I'm still hearing it. Uh, things that you see. I could see some things go on. And that can produce faith in me. And the last one is what you can imagine. The Word of God says He's able to do exceedingly more above that you even think. That God can do more. So I can think of some things. I think God could do this. And, uh, and God can do it. You remember the, the story of the centurion when he came to Jesus? He said, just say the word and my, my servant will be healed. Well, he never saw anybody do that. He never read that anybody did that. He never heard that anyone had done it. As far as we know, that's the only account that somebody said that in the word of God. So he saw what Jesus had done he pictured it in his own life. I tell people go and they go and come and they come. And he imagined that Jesus could do this in the area of healing. Sometimes we can imagine some things. You know, God, I think you could do this. And when you base that imagination off of the Word of God, it can build faith for you. So four things, what you hear, read, see, or what you can imagine. Jesus shows very little respect for faith based on sight. You remember Thomas? Thomas, you believe because you see. Blessed is the man, blessed is the, the one who uh, believes without seeing. Now when it says here in verse 47, 
that he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The word there, imploring or asking, depending upon your translation, New King James uses the word imploring. This is not a word for beg, but it's the word erateo. Erateo, to ask or to make a firm demand. Now, in some places, I saw this description for it, to ask or make a firm demand expecting a positive response. Now, if you are nobility and you come and you ask somebody to do something, how many know there's a little bit more of an air of expectation? It's not, uh, oh, I hope you'll do this for me. I am who I am. <laughs> Therefore, you will do this. Uh, understand this about Jesus. He does not ex- He does not get offended because when we ask him something, we expect that he'd do it. In fact, he, he rather seems to enjoy that than people that are just, you know, wondering. He likes it. You, you know I can do this? Oh, this is good. So that doesn't offend Jesus. That doesn't set him back. So I'm not, not trying to emphasize that with that type of a attitude that Jesus got bothered by this. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Now, that sounds like a rebuke, and every way I read it, I see it as a rebuke. I remember Rick Renner had a note on this. He didn't see it as a rebuke, but I've read over and over it, and I don't see this as any other way but a rebuke that uh, he's he's not too too pleased about something. Now, it may be that because Jesus can pick up what's going on in people's spirits because the Spirit of God reveals it to them. It may be that this man doesn't necessarily believe in Jesus, but he believes that he can do things. And if he can do things, then maybe I'll believe in Jesus. It might be something along those lines. A lot of people came to him believing in him and then also asked him to do some things. There's a difference between believing in God, that he is, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, and believing after he's done some good things for you. A lot of people say, well, if God will do this and this and this for me, I'll believe. That does not impress impress God at all. You know, people that are unsaved, not going to church, not fellowshipping with God, don't read the Bible, don't uh, pray, don't believe in don't believe in God at all. Well, if God will get me out of this financial mess, <laughs> then then I'll believe in Him. Uh, God's not impressed with that. He who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's the rewarder of him who believes. We've got to believe. If you're going to come to God, you got to believe that He exists. So he, he obviously believes that Jesus exists, but maybe He's not quite in the camp of believing that, that Jesus is the Son of God. So I don't know exactly, but Jesus picked up on something and it seems like He rebukes Him here. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The old man said to Him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now this man doesn't back off. He is desperate. He addresses him as sir. Maybe he's not used to being in royalty, uh, addressing other people in such a way, but he does here. Sir, come down before my child dies. He's putting some urgency on here. He realizes the, the son is about ready to die. And his faith is all in the fact that if Jesus comes, he will change the situation. Remember Mary and Martha? Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Same kind of faith. We're in the same, same situation. I need to get you there because if I can get you there, he won't die. So he's pretty convinced that Jesus' presence in the situation will change this thing. That is, uh, that's some good faith right there. Jesus had said to him, go your way, your son lives. Go your way, your son lives. Now that's not the answer he wanted. What he wanted was for the, for Jesus to come with him. That's what he was believing for. That's what he was asking for. That's what he was expecting or even hoping for. And instead of that, Jesus says, go. Go, I'm not going with you. I'm staying right here. But you go. And he says, your son lives. Now here's the thing about this. Nothing spectacular happened. Nothing went on. He says, remember what he had said before? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by, by no means believe. How many times do we want to see a sign and wonder? Have you ever heard a testimony like this? I had hands laid on me and I felt in my body. And then we begin to think, I need to feel something in my body. I mean, if I don't feel something in my body, oh. Or sometimes, you know, people get hands laid on them and you're in a line. Have you ever been this way? You've been in a line, people are getting prayed over and they start falling. You ever seen that? And sometimes people think I got to fall in order to, to receive it. So if they don't feel overwhelmed and to the point of falling down, then they just fall. I know not everybody's here to, to hear all these stories. Most of you will probably remember, remember this one. One of my best stories I ever heard of a minister was talking about people who fell out under the power. When they were prayed over him was, uh, from a brother named Dave Roberson. And when he was out to travel on the road, first time he went out there, lay hands on, on some people, he said, uh, he used to describe his meetings. He said, people stayed away in busloads. That's how he described his meeting. People stayed away in busloads. <laughs> But he said there was a few people out there in the, in the audience and as he was ministering and, and the, the things that God told him, he said, uh, there's one particular person, I forget, lady or man, what it was, but he said there was like an x-ray on their body. And I could see, and I forget what it was that he saw, but he saw something in the, in the body. He, this is the first time he's dealing with it. He didn't, doesn't know what to do with that. And so, uh, he calls them, he calls them, points them and says, uh, sir, ma'am, do you have something going on? in name whatever part of the body or whatever it is that he saw and that person said yes and so well come on up I think God wants me to pray for you <laughs> so they came on up to the front and he went over and he laid hands on them he said I closed my eyes and he said I lay hands on them and I was praying and right in the middle of the prayer they left well he still has his eyes closed so he just keeps his eyes closed and he just keeps on praying but that can affect you. You know, somebody just leaves right in the middle. You're praying over them, just gone. So he just, he just kept on praying. When he opened his eyes, he found out they didn't leave. They fell on the floor. <laughs> right down there on the floor. And uh, uh, anyway, you know, they got healed. That situation went, went, uh, went changed. And uh, there were lots of things that uh, this, this uh, man had seen going on in in ministry, and God showed him many different things, a lot of supernatural power that had gone on in, in healing. But sometimes we see something like that, and we think, well, unless that happens, 
I won't get healed. Then the Spirit of God won't minister to me. There's something spectacular that needs to happen. And that's not always the, it's not always the case. But he says to them, y'all want to see signs and wonders. And if you don't see them, you're not going to believe. Don't be put in the category that if you don't see a sign or a wonder that you don't believe. Whether or not you felt anything in your body, whether or not you saw anything, whether or not anything spectacular happened, it can go on. Absolutely nothing spectacular happens for this man. He comes to Jesus. Will you come? Jesus gives him what I consider to be a rebuke, or at least it's not a real, real friendly thing to be, be saying. And um, he continues to press on. I really need you to come. Really need you to come. And so Jesus says, "Go." Now, when you're asking someone to come, you don't always want to hear "go." Sometimes people say, "Will you come? Come with me?" Jesus said, "I'll come." I will come. In fact, one of the stories we looked at, he said, I will come and heal him. Mm-hmm. Go your way. Your son lives. Well, I'm not going to bother making the trip. He's already living. Mm-hmm. Go your way. Your son lives. And it says here, so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Hmm. Now see, as we said to you, Jesus is not impressed with people who have faith for sight. Well, if I see it, I'll believe it. Thomas is one of those situations. But if you can remember, there was a particular time, and I I wrote the reference down for you. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 5. If you want to write it down, you can. But you remember when John the Baptist, who when he saw Jesus, he announced, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's before Jesus had done anything. But he announced that. And then he baptized them and the Spirit of God descended down upon them and he went into the wilderness for the 40 days. But John the Baptist said right off the bat that, uh, hey, this is, uh, this is the Son of God. Takes away the sins of the world. And he, he continued to point to it that way. And even when some of his disciples began to leave following him and began to follow Jesus, he said, well, I must decrease. He must increase. So there's some belief there. But if you remember when he was put into prison and uh, he was going to be killed there in prison, but while he was there in prison, some of his disciples came to visit him and they were sent, dispatched to Jesus. And uh, he, they came to Jesus and they said, uh, John wants to know, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Well, see, he came into a place of wavering. Now, what was interesting was Jesus' response to him. Remember, this is the response from the one who says, I don't like faith by sight. Remember that? Verse 4, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Huh. Didn't he say some things in there that are sight? Well, see, John's faith was not based on sight, but it can be renewed by some of the things that were being seen. So don't let that verse throw you. John had already come to a place of belief before he saw anything. 
But what makes our faith unique is faith in the Word of God. The world has faith in what they can see. They have faith in what they can understand. If they can't understand it, and they don't have faith in it. They try and make sense of things. Well, I don't, I don't believe all that. And they think just because they don't believe it that it's not true. But what makes our faith unique is it's faith that's based on the Word of God. If the Word of God tells it to us, we believe it. I've told you the stories before when I was going through schooling and some of the ministry training schooling that we had. There are some authors that they gave us to read and these authors did not believe that the Word of God was the inspired Word. And they would pick and choose which parts are inspired. Now some of those books, I, I, I'm not even going to bother reading this. Because if your premise is that you don't believe the Word of God is the Word of God, that 100% of it is from God, if that's not your premise, I don't, I don't care what you have to say. I don't care how much good you got inside that book. I'll throw it out. Now, some of them I had to keep the book until I finished the course. Isn't it amazing you can go to a, to a Christian school to learn things, to become a, a preacher, and be taught things about what were parts of the Word of God you should doubt. <laughs> now, I went to one of the better schools. There are schools out there that that's basically all they did. They taught these things. They're called higher criticisms. Is that a term for anybody? Anybody ever heard the term higher criticisms? Higher criticisms are what are there. And what they do is they uh, criticize the word, I guess, at a higher level. And they will tell you which parts of the word of God are inspired and which ones are not. Now, how in the world can a man, can a person decide which parts of these are inspired and which parts are not? I can tell you, uh, I know enough about the higher criticisms that just about them, I didn't study them, but I know enough about them, I could tell you some of the books they have the hardest time with. The one we're studying on Wednesday night is one of the ones they had the hardest time with. Ezekiel is one of the very difficult books. They, they shredded that in higher criticisms. And I just laugh at them. And I said, I don't care what you guys are doing, I believe it. So if we had that book, if I had to have it to get to graduate the, the, the course, then I did it. And as soon as it was done, I didn't even sell it. I threw it away. Because to me it was garbage. A lot of times you try and keep the books that you have for your, your major. If they did not believe that, that the Word of God was 100% inspired, I throw it out. Because our faith is unique. It's based on the Word of God. If we base our faith on signs and wonders, we will be led astray. If we base our faith on, on other things, we will be led astray. I put in there a quote. I, I often refer to this, but I just uh, looked it up and and put it in there, but uh, Brother Hagen had said this one time the Holy Spirit said to me, my people are waiting for the spectacular and missing the supernatural. He said that to us when we were in school. And I don't know when he heard it. He heard it obviously a while before that. But I, I see that with people. We want some kind of spectacular thing to go on. You know, if somebody came over and prophesied this over me, then I'd believe it. And you're going to go down the wrong direction. You cannot, you cannot follow after that. Signs and wonders cannot lead you. It has to be the Word of God. That's one thing he taught us over and over again. Now down there with uh, Brother Hagin's school, there were no higher criticisms. <laughs> Any book that had anything like that was never allowed in the premise. Of, it was when I was in college that we had that, that sort of stuff going on. Uh, it was a Baptist college, so that's why we didn't have as much as some other schools did. Some schools, some seminaries... Uh, in fact, one of the teachers we had down at Raymond, uh, he had gone through, he had his doctorate. Uh, Dr. Stewart was his name. And he would, he taught us, he had gone through some seminaries. He said, people would come and they asked me, 
They said, what seminaries do you recommend? He said, none of them. That's what he said, none of them. He said, I went to school with 10 faith-filled ministers. Went to school with them, knew them going in. We all went to the same seminary. He said, I'm the only one who survived. He survived well. I will say that to him. He was a good teacher. We thoroughly enjoyed Dr. Ken Stewart. But you've got to be careful because signs and wonders can pull you in. And you'll believe that I'm healed as long as I felt something, as long as something happened when I was prayed for or whatever it might be. But here, this story and others, there's other ones in the Word of God like this. This guy saw absolutely nothing. There was nothing spectacular. There was nothing crazy that went on. There was no word of knowledge that came. All that Jesus did was said, go your way, your son lives. I would have been, if I was the man, I would have been happier if Jesus said, look, I know this is going to be really difficult for you, but I want you to take this step of faith and I want you to, to just step out and go. And as you go and as you head on home, I want you to know your son lives. How many would have been easier with that? That would have been an easier thing. He doesn't say that. What's he say? Go your way. Your son lives. <laughs> How many could see that he, you know, just give him a little bit more? He didn't give him anything more. This man had the choice at this point to either listen to the word that was spoken to him or not. That was his choice. Look at what he did. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Believed his past tense. And he went his way. That means he heard it. When he heard it, he believed it. It didn't say that he began to believe. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he went his way. How many of you could could picture yourself with a third comment to Jesus? You remember, he had the first comment. Then Jesus came back with signs and wonders. Then he had the second comment. You know, sir, come down before my child dies. That's the second comment. And then Jesus come back and says, go, go your way. Your son lives. Six words. In the Greek, I think that's even less. How many of you can come up with a third how many would be thinking of a third comment? Well, are you sure? <laughs> you know, if I get on home, <laughs> he doesn't do that. This is a man who's a no- nobility, royalty. He's used to people doing whatever he says to do. He's used to people waiting on hand and foot for him. And Jesus does not wait on him hand and foot. Doesn't do anything spectacular. Just says, go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Now this is faith in action. He came to Jesus with a need. He had need and his need put him in action. But here we see faith. Many times people will approach God because of a need. It's very easy for need to put you into action. I need a job. I need a bill paid. I need healing. I need peace. I need wisdom. Need moves us very easily. We're very used to being moved by need. 
How many of you, this will help you picture this. How many of you, when your car is beeping at you with the yellow flashing light saying, fuel is low, will find time to fill the tank up? But when you're driving on by the gas station and you're passing it and you're thinking, I wonder if I need gas, and you look down, you have a quarter tank. No, I'm good. (laughs) How many of you have ever been there with that? I'm good. I mean, I'm not going anywhere pressing, but I don't really feel like stopping. I got a quarter tank left. And how many times have you had that quarter tank left and you drove past the, the, the gas station and now it's beeping at you? Yellow light. We're low on gas. The needle's all the way down there at the bottom. And now you got to go find a gas station. I'm not driving by, but I'm going to go find it. And the way a lot of these roads are working out anymore, you can't just make any kind of turn. You can, you may be able to see the gas station. It doesn't mean you can turn into it. I can't make a left-hand turn here. Or if I can get into it, I can't get back out and go the direction I want to go. And so now it's, uh, it's taking me more time. How, how many of you are saying, oh, I wish I would have stopped? <laughs> see, we're not used to being, uh, to responding to anything outside of need. I don't need the gas. I don't need it. I, we're, we're heading into the, into the winter season. And I always get amazed when I go to the hardware store and, uh, Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever it is. And, you know, they have the huge box of, of shovels and then the, the pallets of salt over here. And people are just flocking and grabbing the snow shovels and grabbing the, the, the salt because the storm is coming. It is hours away and they're in here trying to get all this stuff. And I'm thinking, this is my first thought when I see this. I'm thinking, what happened to last year's snow shovel? I don't understand. I have a snow shovel that I've had for about 15 years. When it snows, I go out and I get it. I, I don't understand. Why we have to run? Now, salt, maybe you run out. All right, so maybe you run out and you think, maybe you went out and you're looking at your supplies. Oh, I thought I had some salt. I can understand that. But get last year's snow shovel. That's all you got to do. I, I, I just, I laugh at it every time. I talk to the people that are in the Home Depots and the Lowe's and they said, isn't this crazy? He said, yeah, I don't understand where their snow shovels went. You see, because when I went out and bought a snow shovel, I didn't buy on need. I went out in a snow shovel. I said, oh, that is a better snow shovel than what I have. I'm going to get it. But I don't need it. I'm sure I will sometime. And so I got two snow shovels that are astounding. They have two different functions. One will actually take it. You know, you can shovel it and throw it, throw it over. And the other one has a little bit of a snow plow action to it. And, you know, there's different times you want different ones. And uh, there's still a, there's this time of, uh, Lamar Mandiel, I don't know where Lamar found it, but they, they got this one. It's a snow shovel on wheels. That is still the best thing I've, I've ever received for snow shovels. That is absolutely phenomenal. I love that thing. When that snow falls, I don't grab the snow shovel. I grab the snow shovel on wheels. Now, the snow has to be three or four inches. You can't, you can't do six inches of snow and you can't do four inches of heavy snow or three inches of heavy snow, but if you got three, four inches of light powdery snow... You laugh at the snow. You get that thing on out there. And I just start walking and that snow goes flying. 
and I don't got to break my back or hurt anything at all. I just walk and go. It is so easy that I do my neighbors. I just walk right on down and I do all mine. I don't want to stop. I'm just going to keep on going. So I just keep on going and my one neighbor's got a corner house. Go all around the corner, come all the way on back, go over and do the other neighbor. And then come all the way back. I've got my driveway done and all the sidewalks done before anybody's even out the door. Now, if we get one of those ones that, you know, 15 inches of snow coming, all right, it's not going to work for that, but that's all right. I go out in an hour and I throw off what's there. I go out in another hour and I throw off what's there. I'd rather take that thing out 10 times than the snow blower once. I just would rather do it. But I still don't understand the, the, the people buying stuff out of need. Because the snow shovels they're buying, they're not good. They're, just, they're not going to work that well for them. Don't buy out of, out of need. No, have a vision for something. Walk on into the hardware store before the snow has fallen and see that heavy duty, really nice looking. Oh, this thing's going to last. And get it when there's no need. See, if you train yourself to do stuff outside of need, your faith will get better. We always get out there and we, we do things. Brother Hagen, all of all the things he would teach us, one of the things was uh, uh, never, de- never depend on anything outside of the, your faith. That's what he would teach us. Don't depend on anything outside your faith. In fact, in one of these times he was teaching us this, he taught us, uh, all these students, how many of you, how many have been a student in the school before? I don't talk about high school, I'm talking about after that. Well, you're on your own. You had to get yourself up. You had a 7 a.m. class, 8 a.m. class. You had to be responsible for getting yourself up, getting yourself all taken care of. Nobody else was around to take care of all that for you and get out to the, to the class. Well, that's what Raymond was. You know, you had to be up usually by, at least by 6 a.m. in order to get the things done and be there in class. And, and uh, they don't tolerate being late. There are no excuses for being late. If you're late, you're late. That's, uh, don't come in there and say, well, here's my reason. We don't care. <laughs> that's part of the training that was there. And, um, so, you know, that would, that would go on. But one of the things he would told us, he would teach us, and when he was, he was doing this, he said, if you depend on an alarm clock in the morning, you will hinder your faith. Now, the very next day, the dean of students came out, and he addressed all of us and said, don't one of you try and bring that in as, a, as an excuse. I was listening to Brother Hagen, and I turned my alarm clock off, and I was late. They said, it will not work. <laughs> He says, you set that alarm clock for five minutes after you want to get up. And if your faith doesn't get you up in the time, that alarm clock will. <laughs> but it was a good lesson. And I, I learned it for that. Now, he went into other areas, too. And, you know, it, it didn't bother me uh, too much. But he would talk about, uh, he, he, he mentioned coffee, even. I don't think he, he drank it. I think he, one time he did. But he said, if you need coffee in the morning, if you need, and he just named all sorts of stuff. That people need. And you, you, you all know, students, we had a mess room there. They're all sitting there with a cup of coffee in the morning. They can't bring it into class, but they would be sitting there with a cup of coffee in the morning. And, um, and he'd be, he'd be hitting them on this sort of stuff. He said, if you need, if you depend on anything outside of your faith, you will hinder your faith. So be careful what you go around saying, I need. I try to be, I try to be careful with that. Every once in a while I still slip up and I say, well, I need, uh, I, I kick myself. May have been 30 some years ago that I heard that message, heard him teach that, but I still remember it like it was yesterday. When I, when I tries to come up and say, you need this, I do not. 
I may desire it. I may want it. It may be a benefit in my life, but I do not need it. I can get along just fine without it. And uh, you, know, you, you do what you want with that. That's just uh, that's what we did when, when he, I've told you that before. I know that's not the first time you heard that story. But go your way. Your son lives. Now, how many of you can come up with a couple of needs this man might have? Jesus, I need you to come. Jesus, I need you to do a little bit more. I need to see something. I need to hear a word of knowledge. I need to, <laughs> I want some, I need, see, he's mistaken. He does not need it. We may think that we need it, but he does not need it. The enemy has got us sold that we need some things we do not need. Well, if I don't have this, well, the enemy has sold you on the fact that you need that. Be careful. Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. Every time I read that verse, I just get amazed. Because I don't know if I would have done as well. I, I, I don't know. I'd like to hope that I did. I would like to, to hope that if I was a nobleman and I came to Jesus and this thing whole played out, it would still be in the Word of God. Because, <laughs> because if I came up with a third comment to Jesus, I know it wouldn't be in the Word of God. Just be one of those things that got left out. Because there's a whole lot of things he did that got left out. This would be one of them. Well, Steve almost made it into the Word of God. but <laughs> So I don't know. Like I said, I hope, but I don't know. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Now, we spent some time talking about how long it took him to get there. It took him, you know, seven plus hours to probably get to Jesus from where he was at. He gets there around one o'clock. So it's going to take him about that long to get back. Now, back then, you know, they don't have flashlights. They have lanterns. Um, but they don't travel much in the nighttime. It's very dangerous. You, know, you can't do that. But if you were the nobleman, how many of you are doing everything you can to get home that day? You don't want to wait until tomorrow. You want to do everything you can to get home that day. But he doesn't get home that day. He doesn't get home until the next day. So he went home and the trip from where he's at to where he's going took longer than from one o'clock to sundown. And he had to stop somewhere. And then get started the next day. Now, if you were this person, your son was on the point of death. You came to Jesus. Nothing spectacular happened. No sign. No wonder. Just Jesus saying six words. Go your way. Your son lives. I would love to know the inflection that Jesus used in this story. Is it one of exasperation? Go your way, your son lives. Is it one where of compassion? Go your way. Your son's, your son's alright. I, I don't know how he did it. But the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. See, this is the problem most of us have. When God speaks to us a word, we don't believe it. We look for something that has more spectacular stuff going on. More signs and more wonders. I'm looking for that. 
if God's going to show up, I want to see some, I want to see some lightning in the sky. I want to see some flashes. I want to people showing up who don't know me, who say stuff, prophesy, predict, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, something. I want something coming out of there. I want hands laid on me. I want to have power that I feel just throws me backwards. Then I'll know. See, you're going in the wrong direction. This man had absolutely nothing spectacular happen, and yet his son is at the point of death. Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. You see, when this man acted on What this man had acted on that brought him to Jesus was not as telling as what it got him to leave. What he acted on that brought him to Jesus was, I need Jesus to come. But what he acted on to leave Jesus, I believe the word that Jesus spoke. There's a whole lot of difference between I need and I believe. He believed the word that Jesus spoke. Now, right expectations are formed from right doctrine. There's a lot of people who have expectations on the Word of God and they're wrong. They're not formed from a solid foundation of the Word. Right expectations are formed from right doctrine. That's not anything new. I've given you this one before. This is one of the few spots in here I actually copied it out from an old one and brought it right on in because I want you to, to remember these things. If a bad doctrine is revealed, how long does it take for you to drop it? If God shows you that you're believing something that's not true, how long does it take for you to get rid of it? If God says, maybe you can think about this one. How many of you can remember the time when you thought you were supposed to ask God to be healed? Oh God, heal me. That's what we thought we were supposed to do. And that's what we would do. You know, we've, we've gone through it. I've had people go through it with me. I've gone through it with you. Not a single time in the Word of God does everybody, does anyone implore God to heal somebody. Never. And yet we do it all the time. Many people do it all the time. But when you see it in the Word of God, when you see something that clear, that Jesus did not pray to God to, for that. He spoke to the sickness or disease. The disciples didn't pray to God. They spoke to the sickness or disease. In the book of Acts, in the Gospels, constantly you see they spoke to the sickness and disease. But you can show that to some people and still to go to prayer, oh God, please heal me of this. Not doing what the Word of God said. They go in another direction. You see, how quick will you drop a bad doctrine once it's revealed? For you, it could be the difference between life and death. Healing or sickness. Bondage or freedom. When Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what we've got to follow. If our hope or our expectation is wrong, then our belief will be wrong. If my hope or my expectation is wrong, then my belief will be wrong. You cannot help it. If I have an expectation that is built out of something other than the Word of God, it's, it's not going to help you. I've used this example before. Um, I remember some people commenting on it. It helped them. So I'll use it again. If the, if, you know, in another month in December, we get the snowstorm of snowstorms for December and 18 inches falls upon the Delaware Valley. And you have 18 inches of snow outside there and you've heard me talk about my snow shovel. 
And you just say, you know what? I think Pastor Steve is going to show up and shovel out my driveway. And you have that expectation. I think he's going to show up and, and so you keep looking out. You have expectation. You keep looking outside. Is he here yet? So you're not basing that expectation on something I said. If I said to you, hey, snow's coming, I'll come over and do that for you. Well, see, now you've got some, something to base it off of. But see, this is what a lot of people are doing to God. God never said, God never promised, but they've built an expectation. And then they go to God and God says, I never promised that. We're trying to hold God to something that he never said. That's why you've got to get to know the Word of God. It's imperative that you get to know the Word of God. But the Word of God is not as flashy as the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders, they get our attention a lot more. Put this in your outline for you. If you are casual about your about doctrine, your expectations will not rise above the level of mediocrity. You cannot be casual about your doctrine. You've got to press in to understand the things of the Word with all the depth that you can be led into. Because your expectations, your right expectations will come from your understanding of that word, not mine. They will come from your understanding of that word. And if your understanding is wrong, then your expectation will be wrong as well. How many times do husbands and wives have issues because they had expectations on the other one and the person who had the expectation feels let down and the person who was expected of said, I'd never said that. And it causes stress, causes problems. We've got to make sure that our hope and our expectation is right. Base it on the Word of God. Don't be around these people who find one verse, one obscure verse, and give you some kind of expectation based on one verse. There should be many verses that talk about that expectation. Verse 51, As he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. So before we saw servants who were, who were coming to meet and say, your daughter's dead. <laughs> but here, that's the kind of people Jerry has had around him. But here, the son lives and so they immediately leave to go on to find him. Let him know, hey, your son lives. Give him the good news. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. Now how many of you, if your son was on the brink of death, and uh, Jesus said, go your, go your way, your son lives, and you leave, and he's healed. How many of you want to question what happened? How many of you said, no, 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 we're not, I don't want to be seen as doubt and unbelief. <laughs> he goes, what time, what time about did that happen? Oh, it was about the seventh hour, about one o'clock. So the father knew that it was at the same time, same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. So that's how we, we got the one o'clock part of it there. The seventh hour, the fever left him. So the same time that Jesus had said that, this is when this, this occurred. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Here we see that faith is fulfilled. That's the best part, right? We all know we have to get faith into action. But when faith is fulfilled, oh man, that's good. There are three parts here of the man's actions. He first off, he did something. He put some effort into it. There's a whole lot of people in the area of uh, 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 Christians, a lot of people in there, that uh, I got a need and I'm just going to put it out in the prayer chain and just wait for it to come. No effort. 
nothing to do with it all. He did something. Heard Jesus was in the area. He made a 20-mile trip. Once he got there, he stuck with it. Sometimes some Christians can bail a little early. Don't quit on it. Don't give God a time frame. Well, God, I need a car and I need it by... (laughs) Stick with it. And he returned based on Jesus' word. That was the biggest thing right there. He returned based on Jesus' word. You see, he tells one guy, take up your bed and walk. And that was a step of faith for him. He tells another guy, go wash. And that was a step of faith for him. Blind Bartimaeus, he came up with his own. He threw away his his, uh, blind man's cloak. The woman with the issue of blood, she came up with her own. If I just touched the hem of his garment. But you see, there was something that there was there from the dude, something to access what was going on. This guy didn't come in with a plan outside of Jesus come with me. But Jesus gave him one. Go. Hmm. That's a, that's a tough one. But you see, sometimes we have been more in the situation in our lives of the nobleman than we have been in some others. I have a word from God. I have something that God spoke to me. But it's easy for us to release it and to let it go. Or not believe that it's happening. Or not believe that it's going on. There was a situation that had happened in this man's life. His son became sick. Gradually, this is because of the wording, how how it's worded there. Gradually, that sickness got worse and worse to the point that it had now pushed this, this young man to the point of death. And the man came and got Jesus. That's what happened in the past. His present was, his son was about ready to die. He was in the presence of Jesus and Jesus says, go. That whole way home. Can you imagine this? The whole way home. You got a seven hour plus trip and then you stay overnight somewhere. Not because he wants to probably, but he's staying overnight somewhere. What's going on in your mind if you are a parent of a very sick young man? What's going on in your mind? Are you thinking about anything else beside the young man? Can you see where thoughts are bombarding your head? How do you know he's not already dead? How do you know just because Jesus said it like that that it actually is so? There was no sign. There was no wonder. There was nothing spectacular that went on. How do you know? And he's got to fight off these doubts the whole time. Don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have heard a word from God either in something that was written in the Word of God or God spoke to you about your situation and doubts came to you and you let it go? See, we can, we can do that. We can sometimes let it go. We can sometimes just not stick with it as, as much as we should. But we've got to stay with it. It's been a while since I told you this story, but one of the, one of the things I, I had going on, how many of you remember, many decades ago now, but decades ago, I, um, I had an incredible problem with my feet. It all came out of cross country. I had injured them in uh, college. And uh, they told me way back then, they said the only way you can fix them is to break them. We'd have to break both feet. You'll be in a cast for six months. Uh, but that's the only way that you can fix it. He said, the other option is wear orthotics the rest of your life. And so um, so I wore the orthotics. But if uh, you don't remember what it was, if, if I would walk without the orthotics, you know how you have all those tendons in your, in your foot? Well, if I walk without the assistance of those things, it would be like playing a harp. And all those tendons would just be like strummed. And you could feel the vibration through your feet. And it was extremely painful. 
and so I would have the have those things on. I I just well I'll just I'll just wear the orthotics. So I had the orthotics, and we we wore them, and I I kept them going. Um, and we would we would do things like we took the kids out to Florida one year, and we uh, we were standing in line. I didn't know it until that point, but standing was far worse than walking. I didn't know it until that point. We were standing in line, and as I was standing in line, the pain was so excruciating that I barely felt like I made it through. And so the, a few years later, we decided we had an opportunity to take them down to Florida again. And, go, and I'm thinking, oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that. So I, I told my wife, I says, look, as long as you're okay with us going down there, and as soon as I can't stand in line anymore, because you know when you go down to these parks, you're standing in line for a good long time. As long as you're okay with that, and you're okay with just putting me on a park bench somewhere and not feeling bad that I'm sitting there, I said, I'll be fine. But as long as you're okay with that, then we can go. So they said they were okay. And so, you know, I'd, I would go out there in the morning and I'd wait in line up until right around lunchtime and then that would be it. And I'd sit in the bench until they would all come out. And just, uh, that was fine. I, they got their, their fun in there, but I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't stand any, any more than that. And so there were two things that, uh, he showed me to do. And, and one of them was while we were down over there. And, uh, this, this came up in me. How many know if you have that much foot problem that, uh, running is probably not a great idea? And so well, they, we were at this uh, resort thing and they were playing basketball. Oh, everything in me wanted to go out and play basketball with them. I watched them. I said, oh, I just want to go out and just run up and down. And oh, this would be so much fun. But I felt more than just me wanting to. I felt there was something more to it. So I went out there and I said, I'm going to go play this for a little bit. My wife's first thought was, well, how are you going to do that if you can't even stand? I don't know, but I'm going to go play. So I went out there and played and found out that just by uh, not walking, but certain types of running would actually help it out. And so I actually came up with, after a while, I came up with a minimum uh, requirement of running in a week. As long as I ran so many miles a week, the foot wasn't as bad. Well, there was the second thing that he showed me, and this was the hardest thing for me to do. And we were going down to Oklahoma, and as we were going down there, we went down there every year for a winter Bible seminar. And this particular time, it went on down, and um, this, this came up in my spirit. Because I used to wear cowboy boots. How many of y'all know I wear cowboy boots? I used to wear cowboy boots all the time. And it came up in my spirit, go get some cowboy boots. Because one of the things I had the hardest time with was dress shoes. And my shoes had, the laces had to be tight, really tight. And only certain shoes would work. I could put a pair of shoes on and I'd just feel that those tendons just be played like a harp and uh, gotta get rid of those shoes. They're not gonna work until I could finally find one that wasn't so painful. I didn't find any shoes that were not painful. I found ones that were less painful than others. That's just how, and that's how it went. So I, so I went on, but I felt it really strong about it. So we went on into um, a store called Drysdale's. It's not Drysdale's anymore. They sold and became something else. But went on out there in the Drysdale's. And uh, we uh, uh, we went in there, the whole family, the two kids and me and my wife. And we started trying, I started trying on shoes. And uh, I didn't just try on one pair of shoes. I would try on one pair of shoe and, oh man, it, it still hurts. And then I tried on another pair of shoe and I tried on another pair of shoe. Now you would think that how many of you think after 10 pairs you'd probably give up? But you see, I felt this in my spirit pretty strong to, to do that. And I'm keeping the family. They're all sitting. We're here on vacation. We're sitting here in a shoe store while Dad tries on shoes. This is ridiculous. Um, but I know I stayed with it, stayed with it. I don't know how many shoes I tried on. It's probably in the area of 20 to 30. Stayed with it and, um, and kept going and, and finally found a pair. You know what? This one works. I don't feel any pain at all. 
I don't mean it was less painful. I mean there was no pain at all. This is inc- I've never had a pair of dress shoes that I could wear with no pain. This is incredible. And so we got them. But I had tried on so many shoes, I wore my feet up. And it took me about two weeks before I could ever put them on. They were wore out that much. I mean, I had holes in them. They were bleeding in certain spots from going into the boots and coming back out. I mean, they were they were really tore up. Because, you know, you put one in that doesn't work and you pull it back out. Well, yeah, the, the scars were, <laughs> were there. But, uh, but you see, I, I stayed with it. Now, everything in me would just tell me, just quit. Just, just don't, don't do that anymore. But I stayed with it. Those things really helped us out. And I still wear them. But, you know, it was, I don't know how many years ago. It was a, probably a decade or so ago that I was for the first time able to walk without shoes. I can still walk barefoot now and, uh, and not have any, any trouble. But for a while, I could never walk barefoot. Going down to the shore, love going down to the shore, but I only can only stand, spend so much time in the ocean because walking without shoes on, I couldn't do it. And uh, now I'm running and doing all that other stuff. But but you see, but you see, there was nothing spectacular. There was no word of wisdom. There was nobody had a word of prophecy over me. It just came up in my spirit, and I followed it, and I stayed with it. And uh, <laughs> don't even think about going back. I don't even have orthotics anymore. If I don't, I don't ever told you that. I don't even wear the orthotics anymore. I just have some inserts I put in the shoe just to make them more comfortable. But I haven't worn orthotics in uh, many, many years. But you see, when you do the thing that God tells you to do, you, you, you'll see a, a benefit. But sometimes, it's not going to be spectacular. It's going to be like the nobleman. Go your way. Your son lives. God may simply say, stop eating Vegetables. It may be just that simple. Don't eat those. Don't eat those critters anymore. And you have to be obedient. He may say something to you like maybe you, some of you like this. He may say something to to you like I want you to have a cinnamon cinnamon bun every week. How many would like to hear a word like that from God? See, most times it's not going to be something that you want to do. Most times the word that's going to come to you is something that you don't really want to do or something that is difficult to get done. Now, you can raise your hand on this one if you want. How many of you have something that God told you to do that you found it was not as easy to get done as you thought and you still have yet to do it? A couple of you. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? It seems like whatever we're given to do, it's not always easy. But if you do what he says to do, it will produce the results. And I don't mean do what he says to do after you give him all the excuses and all the reasons. I mean, you're like the nobleman. When Jesus said, go your way, your son lives, you zip your mouth, you believe the word that he said, and you do it. There are more times we are closer in healing our own bodies to the nobleman than we are to any other story in the Word of God. When God speaks a word to you, there's no fanfare, and there's nothing spectacular about it. And we hear it, and we obey it, and we do it. The Word of God will become that alive to you. But if you just do what is revealed to do, 
You got to keep hearing the word. Now you can write down as much of this as you want to. I gave you some room there. But you got to keep hearing the word. You got to keep going at it. Just because you heard the word for five years in a row doesn't mean that you can stop. You got to keep going at it. The first thing is meat, not milk, produces strong and correct expectations. You got to get into the meat of the word of God. I listen to a lot of ministers out there. I try and find new ones and just listen to. Whole lot of milk going on. Milk does not produce high expectations. You need to get a word that makes you stop and think. That makes, that your toes get stepped on a little bit. That, oh man, if that's true, I gotta correct something in my life. Those are the kind of things that ought to be coming to you. Because that's the stuff that will shape you. Milk doesn't do that. But meat does. Because meat, when you take that in, you gotta chew that for a little while. You don't just swallow it. You gotta chew it. You gotta chew it. It's enjoyable to chew. You like chewing it. But you gotta chew it. But meat, not milk, produces strong and correct expectations. Second, Act on the revelations you receive. When you get a revelation, God speaks, opens something up in His Word. You're reading His Word. You're listening to a message. Whatever it might be. And He opens it up for you and you understand, Oh, I see that. Act on it right away. Don't wait. Do like the nobleman did. As soon as you hear it, act on it. Just put it to work. Get into that kind of a practice. The greatest examples of faith. Start with what happened internally, not externally. The greatest examples we have of faith in the Word of God started with what happened internally, not what happened externally. The woman with the issue of blood. What happened with her started internally. If I just touch the hem of his garment, the centurion who saw if Jesus just speaks the word, blind Bartimaeus, if Jesus ever comes by, this is what I'm going to do. Everything happened internally. All the great stories happened with something going on internally. But we like the ones that had the external first. I like the one where Jesus rips the coffin off the, uh, lid off the coffin and just pulls the guy out. That's what I want. <laughs> but you see, more often we're going to be in line with the nobleman where our word comes to us doesn't come with a whole lot of fanfare. But we can build our expectation off of it. And I can see great things happening. Your past can either be your springboard or your anchor. Depends on how you think on it, how you dwell on it. Your present. Don't ever view your present as anything else than temporary. Your present is not permanent. Whatever state that you're in, God is taking you to a even better state, even better place in your spiritual walk if you listen to Him and if you do what He says. Your future should be filled with expectations that come from the Word of God. High expectations. And the greater your understanding of the Word is, the more sure those expectations are, the more grounded they are, and the more it's going to take you. The greatest desire you should have in your life is for a greater understanding of the Word of God. More so than a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge. Those things are good. Those things are helpful. And they have their place in your life. But the most important thing is the Word of God. And the man believed 
the word that Jesus spoke. That's what we got to do. We got lots of words that Jesus spoke in the Bible, not just the ones in the Gospels. Gave inspiration for all the others. Would you all stand up with me? Father, you have great places to take us. You have great things to be able to do. Some of the things that we have that are holding us back, that are hindering us. It doesn't matter if they were done by our own stupidity. It doesn't matter if it was done because we put ourselves in a situation where we shouldn't have been. Even with Jehoshaphat, he's in a place where he's not supposed to be and you still showed up to help him. I thank you that your love for us is that great. Father, we need to take the revelation that you give us and act on it. And then look for more and act on it. Keep looking for more. Keep pressing into your word. Keep growing in the things that your word teaches us. Because if we do, if we get away from the milk, we get into the meat, and we don't just hear it, but we chew on it. We chew on it over and over. All through the week, I keep chewing on what he showed me, what he spoke to me. Keep going over it. Keep meditating on it. Keep building expectation off of it. These are the things that will change my life. It may not be flashy. It may not be as spectacular. But it is no less supernatural. I thank you, Father, that we have the supernatural working in us every single day. Sometimes we only look for the spectacular and we miss it. Help us, Father, to see your hand and everything going on around us. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Brother Victor. Good morning, church family. Um, we will always, or I will always say we um, always excited to have all of us in church. And uh, for those that are joining us by way of the internet, it's always a good thing to be together in the house of God, sharing love, sharing fellowship, and then encourage one another with our testimonies. And uh, we have some good testimonies this morning. Hallelujah. And um, if you look at your bullet, uh, the bulletin there's uh, on the first page, uh, Pastor wrote something there by uh, Novel Hayes. Said, "Faith means obedience. When you obey God, you have faith." And I think that has been the the center of today's message: hearing God's word and responding in line to those words. And the choir also ministered the same to us today. I say yes, oh yes, to your will and to your way. I say yes, oh yes, I will trust you and obey. So when your spirit speaks to me, what will I do? With my whole heart, I will agree. And my answer will be what? Yes, 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 Lord. And also God has actually been speaking to us right from the beginning of this service on how we can respond, you know, when we hear his words in our lives and in our situation. And I pray that we go out there um, doing whatever God has asked us to do. Amen. So we have a um, press report from Sister Susan. She said, I was expecting a bill for $800. Uh, when I received it, it was reduced to 350 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, we all like those cuts, you know. <laughs> 
We give God thanks for that. Um, Sister Ento, you're welcome back to church. Um, Ento is thanking God also for his successful and beautiful mission trip to Vietnam and uh, back uh, to church uh, to be with us again in the church. She also wants to thank God um, for all of us, uh, for the prayers and the love and the support we um, give to her during this um, mission trip. Hallelujah. Uh, we have another press report from Sister Alexis. See, last Monday, I passed the Certified Financial Planner Certification Exam. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. He said, this was truly a test of my faith. And doing things the way God will have me to do them. I could not only say I trust him, uh, but I turn this whole situation over to him. He has a winning track record and he um, was not going to start losing with me. Hallelujah. So thank you to everyone that encouraged me um, along the way and stood with uh, in agreement with me. We give glory to God for that wonderful testimony. Amen. Some of us will soon share ours, you know, something very similar. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we have um, a prayer request uh, for Orlando's daughter who lost her fiance um, this past week. So let's hold Lando and the daughter in prayers that God will strengthen them uh, by his spirit. Amen. Um, have a nice, beautiful day. So cool out there, but still enjoy the weather and uh, have a beautiful week also. At the same time, greet one another as you leave the church. Amen. <laughs> 